thank you as always for listening to Caleb versus Self. On this episode, I get a chance to speak with my brother, Chad. Uh, We did a podcast a couple of months ago regarding a bit more of our background, our religious upbringing. But on this episode, we try to dive a little more into our personal philosophies and how we come to those. Um, I talk a little little bit more about mastering a given craft and how I feel like that can help shape our personal philosophies. Hopefully you find the conversation engaging, entertaining. I know that Chad said he wants to circle back on this topic in about two or three months from now, so be on the lookout for that if you like this conversation. Uh, There might be some things you might disagree with, some things you might agree with. Uh, If you do, reach out. Me up uh, via email at Caleb versus self at gmail.com or on Instagram at Caleb versus self. And as always, and once again, thank you for listening. Incredible. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, <laughs> thanks for coming on uh, on this one, Chad. I know. On our last podcast, we went pretty deep into our background a little bit as far as religion was concerned, as far as how we were raised. And this time around, given the fact that you've done a lot more than I actually perceive when it comes to reading about philosophies and trying to figure it out, uh, I use that term loosely, figure it out. Uh, I wanted to kind of circle back with you and kind of catch up on if you've gotten anywhere with that exploration. I imagine that that is also a loaded question because most of us go I don't want to say nowhere but it's extremely mm. difficult topic to figure out um where are you at this point with your own quote unquote life philosophy well uh it's because the funny thing is is you can do all the extensive reading that you want but um until you can take your quote unquote philosophy or worldview and actually turn it into something that directs your day-to-day life i mean it's not very useful you know what i mean like it's it's so to me like i i think that i'm pretty well settled on the things that i believe about how the world should be and how i should be and then (laughs) there's a disconnect from actually getting that to influence my day-to-day not all the time but um you definitely I don't know. You get a little separated from those bigger ideas that you you believe in. Like when you just are doing your day to day and you're just doing the shit you got to get done. I don't know. That stuff sort of gets put on the back burner, like in the back of your mind. Well, it's because existing has to occur first. Right. And when I say that, I mean, like sustenance and housing and all that stuff. And that means you got to go to work and you have to go to work. All of a sudden, your focus is pretty much tied up in what you're doing and it feels like sometimes all of a sudden your life kind of gets away from you for a little bit. And I think that that occurs to people way more often than any of us would like to admit Mm. for you. Is there something that you like started reading or were listening to or watched or however you consume, whatever you consume that really tugged specifically at, at some specific thing within your own kind of personal philosophy that, that again, really drove something home for you? Or is it just an amalgamation of all the, stuff you've tried to consume and piece together slowly but surely yeah um i don't know it's just a consequence of uh being alive i suppose you know it's it's <laughs> funny it's when you come close when you when you brush a little bit with like either bad health 
for yourself or bad health for other people or even people around you dying, that's always a time where you're just like, okay, what the fuck am I here for? What am I doing? Like, to me, that's typically what triggers me to like, try and look a bit more inward and take things a bit more seriously. Um, so the act of living itself kind of breeds whatever that philosophy ends up being, you feel like? I suppose the act of dying. <laughs> That's fair. That's Which pretty... is horribly morbid uh, in a way, but... But there's a lot of philosophers that take that perspective that death is... I mean, death is a huge part of trying to understand yourself because we're all trying to race the clock in some way. Right, yeah. And we're all trying to... Well, because you can either... I feel like, it, like you said earlier, you tend to go into these little zones sometimes where you're kind of on autopilot for like say a few weeks or a month and then you kind of just come back to this idea of like okay what am i what am i doing here what am i here for what am i trying to get done what do i believe about the world what am i trying to do for myself you know uh but autopilot is just one of those things where you're kind of just used to the day-to-day you know the things you need to get done and you kind of just sort of float on through you know does that make sense? It does. And it's scary. Putting yourself yeah. on autopilot for me is the scariest thing that you could mention, I feel like. Mm. Because one day I'm going to wake up and look in the mirror and I'm going to be old and close <laughs> to death. And I'm going to ask myself, as a natural progression of my life, I feel like when you get towards the end, and I don't know this for sure, but I feel like for me, when I get towards the end, the thing I'm going to focus on is, well, what did I do? What was I able to accomplish? What can I reflect upon that that allows me to feel comfortable to then go into the night, right? Go into the void, right? whatever that walk, may be. Walk off into the woods and just disappear. I mean, in a perfect world, that's exactly <laughs> what I would do. I will say goodbye to my loved ones and I'll just go out into the woods. Uh, <laughs> You're going to be I like 43. As Neil deGrasse Tyson say, says, I will allow the, what is it, the flora and the fauna to feast upon me as I have feasted upon them. That's correct. It's all cyclical. It's all cyclical. But yeah, it's um, it's just tough too because when you do want to take things seriously, you can either refer yourself to a worldview which sort of sets up the rules for you and the expectations and how things are supposed to be. Or if you try and forge it on your own, you have to build like a structure for yourself, right? And that's not an easy task to do. No, but I feel like today a lot of people start with their base, right? Their base religion, if you will, is what it feels like a lot of people do. And then from Mm. there, they then interpret what they need to in any given moment to whether justify or forgive maybe their own actions in some way, mm. shape or form. That's what it feels like today. Most people do. And, and I guess for me, the one thing that I always enjoy talking to you about is that although you understand and reflect upon the base that we were raised upon, you don't then just hold to it blindly and continue on whatever path is just kind of naturally set in front of you. Mm. you I feel like you tend to, challenge your own preconceived notions at such a level that allows you to continue to consume and do your best to understand what it's all meaning or what it's for right that's something at least for me i've admired about you and i've tried to learn in some way of how to just take a moment to reflect like i remember specifically 
and this might be going too deep for you. Just tell me if it is. But, uh, you know, Go after after grandma passed mm. and you're out in our uncle's backyard, just staring at the stars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I'll give I'll give Chad his space. But Alex went over and had a very thoughtful and deep conversation with you. And, and she, she told did. me a little bit about it. She didn't really divulge a whole lot because I even said that. I was like, I feel like that's something between, you know, you and him. That was obviously a pretty important conversation for both of you. But she made it feel like you were just taking in that moment and just trying to think about it. And and I don't know any other way to describe it. No, yeah. I mean, that is that is exactly what it is. Um, it's funny because I saw, I think yeah, I saw your daughter out there and she was sort of gazing up. So I went over and I talked to her and then she left. She like walked away and then I was just <laughs> stood there doing what <laughs> she had been doing minutes prior. But yeah, it's, um, again, it's definitely moments those big moments that hit a little close to home that you, you try and get the whole scope of it. And it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's again, it's until you can take that worldview and actualize it in your day to day. And you can take that worldview and have it help guide you through those moments of tragedy. Um, the worldview is not much use to you. It seems to be the impetus for most people. Like when they make that conversion from child to adulthood or young adulthood tends to be, I feel like the destruction of your, you know, kind of notion of what you are as a kid, if that makes sense. So like, for example, somebody might be a kid all the way up until they're 18 and then they lose a grandparent and then they start having Mm. to think about and realize that the world that they live in isn't what they thought it was. And sometimes that can happen as young as, you know, unfortunately, super young. Where, you know, someone may be subjected to certain types of abuse. Your whole world changes in that very moment. And no matter when it happens, and I feel like it continues to happen as time goes on and you continue to work towards trying to figure out what everything means for you as a person. But are you ever able to actually truly sit there and, and fully come to a realization of what your life means or how you're supposed to spend it? Well, there's a few people that that managed it allegedly <laughs> certain people who are enlightened by something divine um, allegedly allegedly <laughs> hey listen if if you it's funny because i've had this conversation with a buddy of mine who's not religious and there's something that stuck with me and i don't know if i mentioned if we talked about this last time but i'm going to say it again anyways if we did i apologize but that's like to me this is where i'm coming around to um so if somebody say is let's say a Christian, and they believe that uh, the soul is sustained after they die, they believe that there's a certain moral code they need to follow to get into heaven, that they will get to heaven if they're a good person if they confess their sins. When that person, let's assume for a second that it's not true, right? When that person passes, when they die, it will never have not been true for them. There'll, there'll never be a moment where they realize that that thing, that moral code they were abiding by, the whole worldview that they were they were buying into, that they were following. There's never a moment where they're like, oh, well, that was wrong. It's, it's never not true for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Assuming that nothing happens after you right. die. Right. Assuming that none of the religions are correct. Um, it's never not true for them. But for for their ent- the entirety of their buying in or believing in that system. It was compelling them to do things in their life, right? And then they die, and then it was never not true for them. So practically, in a sense, it was true for them. 
if that makes sense. No, it does. You see what I'm saying? I'm, yeah, maybe yeah. I'm explaining this terribly. No, I don't think so at all. <clears throat> I, I think ultimately what you're trying to say is that if, in fact, nothing happens, you actually don't know that nothing happens. And you still therefore, got... your entirety of life that you believed it to be true is still true to you because and, you and don't you know still... different you still reap the benefits that it provided you when you were a part of that system. You get what I mean? Yeah. Like they have, they have comfort when somebody close to them dies, knowing they're going to see them again. And when they're, when they themselves die, they don't find that out to not be true. But in, in the time they're going through that tragedy, they had that comfort by their side. And then it was never not true for them. So by that argument, if in fact you just believe it to be true, you will always know it to be true. It, in a yeah in a sense yeah and it's an so idea that, that i've logic should we just believe <laughs> we should we should <laughs> believe in something and wholeheartedly believe it i think um because it does it it's it's and it's hard when like for me i'm now irreligious and i don't think that that's a corner i could ever go back around you know mm-hmm. um Without sounding like too arrogant, it's a sort of Pandora's box. You don't put everything back in. Like once once that's been opened, at least in my particular case, there's no way I could ever go back and be a sincere believer. There's just mm-hmm. no way. But I do recognize the value of that wholehearted like belief in that thing. Right? There's there's it's it's a it's a a guiding principle. Like for when you meet people who are very strong in their faith, it really does influence their every single day. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. There is never too long that goes by before they remember the thing that they believe in and the thing that they're here for. I'm talking about like, you know, strong believers. There's plenty yeah. of people who claim to be believers and they only think about it on Sunday and they only think about it, you know, when something tragic happens. But there Easter's. are people. Oh, sorry. Right. Yeah. Easter's (laughs) holidays. But there are people who truly are like fully involved with that belief system. And it truly does influence and guide them daily, multiple times. And I think that's a very powerful thing. Um, I just need to figure out a way to do that secularly, (laughs) which is which is my problem. Yeah, to be able to. Well, how much of that just comes down to community? And I know you and I have had this conversation before, but developing a community of people around you or with you so that when you do go through hard times, you can find solace in the fact that you do have friendships or mm-hmm. um, you know, even mentors who can help guide you a little bit through said process. That's where I feel like religion has a, quite a leg up on being right secular or atheist or or what have you there is mm-hmm. to, a lot, to a lot of people there is no comfort that there right. is nothing at the end and right but but and having that community of people to be able to support you because at least scientifically at the end of the day right grieving and, and so on and so forth is certain chemicals in the brain that are triggered and activated right but sure. you can also have the opposite balancing chemicals be triggered by friendships by right like you said like grieving appropriately whatever that may mean to you Mm. so doing that in a secular way though i mean that's the part that's so difficult i just i think there's a reverence like there's something about this idea of divinity that gives when you're truly in it when you're truly believing in it it's it's a powerful thing 
And I definitely could say that from experience as a kid, like those moments where I, which by the way, and I think I said this last time too, but probably about 30 times I got saved when I was a kid. Cause I would always like do something and then I would Lord come into my heart and please wash away. my. <laughs> Cause you know, you're feeling guilty about whatever for that day. Um, I mean, I, I wish I shouldn't laugh about that, but that unique experience when you open Pandora's box and you kind of recognize what it was as a kid. Right. It's, yeah. it's funny being outside of it yeah it is a little bit until you realize they were telling you in like uh the youth classes that hell was like putting your hand on the stove but all around your body and for eternity you're just like oh this is a little intense for me man i'm just trying to go watch some football <laughs> uh <laughs> but yeah when you're truly in it it's i don't know there's something about that idea of like divinity that just seems it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. So have you seen Cosmos? Uh, yes. The original one, Carl Sagan or Neil deGrasse Tyson, either one. Yeah. To me, that is an attempt at creating a secular divinity, like this I, this bigger idea of a thing we all belong to, this bigger idea of like what we're here for. It's like it's like trying to create like a, a narrative and a, and a set of stories and something for us to aspire towards, but in a secular way. That's kind of how I see Cosmos now. Really? Does that make sense? I mean, what yeah, is it it's like at the end of it that we are aspiring to? Go to the stars. Multiply and prosper. Conquer the, okay. the galaxy. So literally become, celebrate science. Just to celebrate life. The cockroaches of the universe? Is that <laughs> what our predetermined... Well, framing is important, sure. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Because that's what it sounds like to me. Uh, but it, it it just it seems like an attempt at creating the secular and the scientific as some sort of like like divine thing that we can participate in and be a part of. I don't know. It's yeah. I've, I got to flesh that idea out more. I've not thought about it too much, but I feel like you're on a certain path because when I go and you loan me the uh, the Sam Harris free will thing and then I listen to mm. a little bit more on one of his podcasts the idea that free will doesn't exist also mm. is like, you know, I know that he can wrap his head around it, but in the way that he does, it's extremely, uh, it's non-motivating. It's like, Oh, well, fuck it. If it doesn't matter, <laughs> then if I don't have free will, then I can't control the fact that I'm going to eat a freaking crunch wrap Supreme. Hey, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I didn't have any scary... choice but to download that Taco Bell app. That was not my choice. <laughs> no, I, I completely. So I feel like on one you. end you have this like extreme divine purpose to serve an ultimate creator, and then on the other hand, it's like, eh, doesn't matter. <laughs> and and we as humans, I feel like it's unhealthy to be extreme on one side and extreme on the other. We do need to develop some yeah. sense of purpose, some <clears throat> sense of meaning, mm -hmm. and that's where I feel like. In this conversation, when you talk about how you develop your life philosophy, like that is the challenge of most people, or at least most mm -hmm. people that are cognitively cognitively aware that something needs to happen. Otherwise, either mm -hmm. it's all for just this ultimate creator and just kind of like, okay, I'll just be a good person just because I'm scared of something or <laughs> it all means nothing. And therefore, why am I doing it? Like there's this crazy yeah. balance that has to occur. Yeah. And for you, being someone who is now, you know, irreligious or non-religious, I forgot how you phrased it, but someone who has opened that Pandora's box, how do you then try to 
cultivate a purpose or a meaning for yourself. Yeah, um, when I figure that out, I'll certainly let you know. <laughs> hey, that's fair. That's no, but fair. I, there are ways of doing it. It's just it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of being very conscientious about a lot of the things that you do on a day to day basis. Because, again, I almost wish I could be the type of person that could work hard, enjoy myself, do whatever I need to do to get done. And then that's it. Like, I'll just pass away and that that I'll be done. But there's definitely something that always brings me back to that idea idea of just doing something sort of, I don't know, greater than myself or doing something that's profound or doing something that's important. Um, and I just can't kick that. Like, I wish I could just be, you know, a gluttonous slob and feel no guilt about it and then just die. Like, that would be great if I wasn't worried about it. Right, but I have the worst of both worlds because I'm a gluttonous slob and I hate myself for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Obviously, I'm exaggerating a bit, but you get what I mean. Um, and so, I, yeah, for your experiences at this point, have you found anything that you feel like might give you some sense of purpose? Like, I know for both of us, we've been in and out of college. Like, that shit sucks. There's no, I mean, I shouldn't say there's sure. no purpose, but it feels like there's no purpose. Right? <laughs> it depends the on what end, you're doing. Well, the end goal there yeah. is to, right, get a career to earn money so you can do right. anything. Like that's, right. right. Or quote unquote, enjoy life. But how does one enjoy life after, you know, years of doing a career? I, I see in a lot of ways people today, in today's age, they take on a certain level of purpose and meaning through their work, which is scary as hell as well because. Look, at the end yeah. of the day, your job does not care about you. Let me remind you one more time. They don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, the one thing I heard from one of my old uh, managers that has always stuck in the back of my head is your job will be posted before your obituary. Just remember that. Jeez. <laughs> That's such a good line, though. It's true. And it, it is. I would say it's it's yeah, it's largely true. It's not always true, but it is largely true because there are jobs out there where people like say you, um, I don't know, you're a park ranger and you love nature. Like some, mm-hmm. that's somebody that might actually love and find meaning and purpose in what they do. But it does get a little How many watered park down. Rangers do we need, Jed? <laughs> Not that many. Oh, we got a lot of parks in this country. Come on, now we do. And, and I don't want to Teddy Roosevelt a specific occupation. But the truth is, is that ninety eight percent of us are not going to be able to genuinely right. fulfill a sense mm-hmm. of meaning and purpose through our work. It's just in a capitalist yeah. society, we can't do that. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, if we get to a point where you want to phase jobs out, everything about what we would expect from society would change, would have to. Um, but this is why I, 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 the smartphones kill me. And I see it in myself all the time because it's just such an easy vice to just divide your attention away from perhaps things you should be thinking about taking a little more seriously. I'm not saying all vices and distractions are bad. You need those in your life, but with the way that they're designed now, I don't know how much you know about TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. I don't use TikTok, but as far as I understand, it's they fine tune it so much because on their end, all they see is engagement levels and all these different things that they can tweak and mess and play with. And they just see the engagement levels go up and up. And it's just, drawing people in to just mindlessly numb themselves out and scroll from anything else that maybe they should be using their 
thinking time for. Like boredom can be a good thing, I think, um, especially thinking about bigger ideas. Yeah, so. I mean, what did you do as a kid when you were bored? Some Mortal Kombat. Some uh, okay, that's fair. Spyro. I feel like for me, I'm a, a little older than you. We had to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was not. Little... It was. It was definitely not as much as uh, kids today. My God. You know, it's so easy to hand a kid a tablet and it really does keep them busy. But it's like, what's the trade off? Because there's got to be a trade off. Yeah. You know, it's tough. I don't know. That's scary. It is. Scary. Uh, but it is scary. Yeah. Again, it's not so all what, bad. I'm not saying it's yeah, all yeah. bad, but I'm saying when that's when that's so all you want to do. Yeah, go ahead. Let me go back and say <clears> in a perfect <throat> world. Right. You have mm. complete control over yourself and your vices. What is it that we should be thinking about, at least from your perspective, in order to either a develop a philosophy, a life philosophy, or b continue to challenge your preconceived notions of what you think your life philosophy is? Well, that's 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 going to differ for everybody. But I think at a at a minimum, just. At a minimum, just finding some level of fulfillment that's that's gratifying enough because mm-hmm. again you will at some point get towards the end of your life and you will reflect a little bit <laughs> at a minimum and and wonder what what it was that you were spending all your time doing you know yeah um, i just did a podcast with uh, dennis over on his his channel project creator in in that one i remember the other day specifically talking about well maybe i didn't I, now i can't remember either way um mastering your craft and i feel like for a lot of people having a particular hobby or a particular you know thing that they aspire to do that is not connected to financial success or you know your life your livelihood Mm -hmm. i feel like for a lot of people that allows them to slowly but surely start figuring out that life philosophy i mean you hear it i feel like throughout all sorts of different ones but i'll go to the basic like christian religion jesus was a carpenter you know, perfecting that craft allows you to connect certain things in your mind about connecting pieces of wood together and what it ultimately means for the table that you just built or, mm. you know, things of that nature. So whether you're into like me at this point, I just like talking to people or whether it's, you know, building Lego sets or whether it's producing art mm. or whether it's exercising, you know, maybe bodybuilding is your thing yeah. through that hobby and through that craft as you slowly but surely start to master each element of that craft i feel like that allows you to answer the questions that may be harder to answer if you just sat in a room and thought about it for hours upon hours <laughs> on end right yeah i would i would agree with that well because yeah because in a way you have to problem solve when you're just figuring out how to do this thing that you're trying to do um well you also have to ask yourself the question right why is it that i am bodybuilding i'm just gonna use bodybuilding why am i lifting all of this weight Right. You have to answer that question in order you for you to keep going to the gym. Right. And what, ultimately, what, yeah. it gives you a framework, I feel like, of trying to answer the ultimate question, which is what is your life worth? What are you doing? Where do you find mm. purpose and meaning? And for some people, it's as simple as just trying to be able to, you know, bench 500 pounds. But yeah. in order to do that, you then have to acquire discipline and you have to have motivation and you have to understand how and the why and You've got to be technical about it. You have to figure out what types of exercises will get you to this particular, you know, thing. And I wonder how yeah. much of us today um, are hopefully through COVID 
picking up new hobbies and starting to slowly learn a given craft so that eventually you could hopefully answer those questions yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Cause when you intentionally spend a lot of your time trying to do one thing and figure it out rather than splitting your attention all the time, doing whatever it is that's maybe suits your interest at that moment. Cause for example, with bodybuilding, it is a lot of work. There's going to be a lot of discomfort. You're going to fucking hate it someday. <laughs> that's right. But you truly find out a lot by just figuring out a, out a way to push through it, be sincere about it, not get cynical, stay true to what you're trying to do. Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, this is this is why it kills me that capitalism has been so successful in a way because we have so many vices to just choose from. And all of that, some of them are just at your fucking fingertips, does not take much. You know, I could Grubhub whatever I wanted to my door right now. Sure. Or I could go out and I could run a mile and decide to do that every single day for the next 10 years. Like there's a clearly an easier decision to make there. And it's going to be somebody knocking on my door in 20 minutes with some <laughs> bacon cheeseburgers. You know what I mean? So it's just, there's so many easier options that are short term, more gratifying, but figuring out a way to tune that noise out and commit to something and and doing it I, that's obviously more gratifying in the long run and you're going to learn a hell of a lot more about yourself in the world by doing it for sure i also think that when you're going through that type of process there's there's that um part of your brain that's like here's dopamine you're being rewarded for accomplishing this task <laughs> and it, you're right it's easier to get that from you know a cheesy gordita crunch than it is Ugh. from running three miles but 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 right. but if you could train your brain somehow to connect huge positive responses towards accomplishing a given goal, if you could somehow retrain your brain to do that, I feel like there might be an avenue for you then to pursue that craft at such a level hmm. that like in, in some of these people, you know, I'll go back to carpenters, for example, or even bodybuilders again. You get to a point to where the difference between the number one ranked bodybuilder in the world and the number two ranked body is so small, right? <laughs> but the gap from me to right. me being able to bench 300 pounds is so huge. But as you're going through those, you get to really dial in a very specific thing and mm. whatever that thing is. And I feel like that ultimately can impact your philosophy of life. So I guess what I'm trying to say is get a fucking hobby, everybody. <laughs> Figure not it only out. that but be sincere about it yes yes that, don't I, get cynical because like it's easy but, to get a hobby but it's it's a lot harder to stick it out you know what right, i mean but that's part of the lesson isn't it like yeah. the first lesson here is is hey guess what you thought you like this psych it's hard as fuck <laughs> that's the <laughs> first lesson my roommate right now like um maybe a month and a half ago uh picked up a harp rented a harp i should say scheduled some lessons with a teacher and was like you know what like i'm gonna i'm doing this <laughs> and then he's finding out very quickly that it's it's a, it's it's a hell of a lot of work it's a hell of a lot of sitting down and intentionally getting frustrated over and over again trying to figure something out and uh it's a but lot if, easier to just walk away from those things it is it but really if you can is. break that wall if right. you can get through that first obstacle, which to your point is realizing how hard something is and being cynical about it, 
Because like at the same mm-hmm. time, every day that you wake up for work and go to that receptionist desk or go to that cubicle or go, oh. you know, scooping dirt or whatever the case may be, is actually just as hard. Right. It's hard. It's hard right. to do that. But your rent's on the line in that case. Right. There's a different <laughs> connection there, right? So There's an inherent motivation. If you can find yeah. a way to create that motivation, that positive feedback loop in your brain that connects the, hey, good job piece to the, hey, this is hard piece. Mm-hmm you might ultimately be significantly more successful in any endeavor that you encounter. And ultimately you'll be able to begin to, to form those philosophies based on those experiences. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even for me right now, reaching out to random people across the world and getting denied hundreds of times, <laughs> you know, Oh, sounds like high school for me. All right. That's a different type Sorry. of thing, but <laughs> <laughs> denial is denial, sir. <laughs> <clears throat> But my um, point is, is that, I, you know, that's a lesson I had to learn. I stopped doing podcasts for like four weeks there. I was yeah. so frustrated. I was so yeah. pissed off about it. Yeah. You know, and then I just had to turn it back on and say, okay, we're doing this. I got to make the commitment. I have to realize mm-hmm. that one in every 10 emails I send, I'm not going to get a response. And in one of those 10 emails, they're going to say no. And eventually I'm going to get someone that says, yeah, sure, I'll talk to you. <laughs> And you've got to break through that barrier. Yeah. And what I'm learning about myself right now is that I've got to I've got to find better ways to be disciplined about how I approach certain things. Yeah. And and framing what the incentive is 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 huge as well because I definitely see a lot of I'm on YouTube a lot and I've been on YouTube for since I was a teenager, so a decade now, well over a decade now actually. Uh, OG YouTube, huh? OG YouTube. Oh, sorry. (laughs) But it's funny to see the content that was on YouTube in the early, like mid 2000s, the content that's on there now, because you can see that the incentive is for views and more importantly, money. And you can see, I literally see content creators evolve out of content they enjoy doing towards content that they probably fucking hate or they're over. But it's what gives them the attention and it's what gives them the money. Um, so it's weird. Like you have to be honest about where your incentives lay because you might bastardize the whole thing if you're if you're not honest about what the end goal is supposed to be. Like what ultimately would you want to get out of this? Would you say for just me having interesting conversations? Yes. And and. Ultimately, on top of that, and I, we talked about this before we started recording, but to have mm-hmm. those experiences as well, I'd love yeah. to be able to talk to somebody and then get to meet them in person and watch them do what they do right. in person as well, or maybe even participate in whatever that thing is so I can gain some, you know, wild experience, hopefully. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. exposing myself to more and more, hopefully as time goes on, more unique individuals, I'll be able to then start kind of crafting my own thought process. You know, I can start pitching some ideas to people as well. Sure. You were talking about the whole YouTube thing. I just talked to a guy, Alex Rudd, who's fantastic. He's got a bass fishing channel. Okay. He's only got like 40,000 or 50,000 subscribers or something like that. So like all the people that he started with, they've got hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Mm. And he talked briefly about that. And he's like, look, the difference is, is that they took the bait. You know, let me craft <laughs> it, Let me craft the things that work better in the algorithm or let me craft yeah. the things that work better for a sponsor. And then as the years go on, you know, four or five years into this, the people that took the bait now 
when he talks to them, they're they're not really happy necessarily. Like they're doing right. the thing that they have to do for the views or for the. It's not. It's the sincerity left. The yes, sincerity is gone. gone now. It's disappeared. Yep. Whereas for him, he's like, no, nah, I'm going to keep doing what I do. He's right. finding that success, but he hasn't lost that sense of authenticity in his ultimate goal. Yeah. So he's way more happier just making yeah. the content because that's what he likes to make. It's hard, man. It's hard. It is. Because again, at the same time, if you want to make something like that self-sustaining and you don't want to work a full-time job and do it on the side, you do kind of have to appease your crowd a little bit. You do got to make the money at the end of the day. I think that's a really good point you made with like, you go up every single, you get up every single day and you go to a job and you do shit that's just as hard as it would be to try and do your hobby outside of work. But mm-hmm. that's be- the motivation. The incentive is there. You have to pay rent. You have to put food on your plate. You have to feed your kids. Well, okay. So let me change that then, right? Because let's change No, I, I thought that incentive. was a really good point. Well, no, no. But you're using a specific word, incentive. Mm-hmm. Right? I, is it an incentive or are you just kind of chain locked to your mortgage or your rent or you know what I mean? <laughs> well, that is an incentive, right? Well, sure. It's but not I a positive like, one. <laughs> I guess, yeah, incentives can be good or bad. But you have to really take stock of what that incentive ultimately is. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's it's hard to do when that's not so clear. Like if I try and take up the piano, my goal isn't going to be to make me a better person. But like if that was my goal and if I could actually visualize it and work towards doing that maybe that is something i could do maybe that would be more rewarding than say learning the piano so i could do a little bit at a party and have some girl be like oh you play the piano and you're like i sure do you know what i mean like i hope scotty listens to this (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean how do you think i landed her come on now (laughs) by playing the piano yeah first yeah five chords of uh all of what is that all of you john John Legend, is that the I'm, one? I'm pretty sure that came from you serving up those uh, cheesy fries at Friendly. <laughs> Whoa, too real, dude. Don't dox me. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, you have to be honest about what those incentives are. You have to be able to visualize those incentives. You have to be able to define your worldview and see if it fits into what it is you're ultimately trying to do. Like, it's really hard. You have to be really self-conscientious about it. And you have to... In, I feel like there's it's why people get certain tattoos on themselves because it's like a permanent reminder to some part of them that they want to remember that they want to always go after. You know what I mean? It's like immortalized on their body. It's a constant reminder. It's always there of like something they are trying to do. I mean, I don't want to give too many. I mean, there's also plenty of tattoos out there that people just get tattoos to get tattoos. But you know what I mean? I feel like that's a direct shot. (laughs) (laughs) Caleb your tattoos are great listen but you get what I mean though people get you know significant meaningful things on themselves and it's probably some some thought process there is they want to immortalize something they're trying to remember that they're trying to keep in focus for themselves every single day yeah yeah yeah. that's interesting it on their chest that they see in the mirror every morning I don't don't know or on their arm or whatever the case may be yeah yeah how do you Given the fact that I feel like, at least for me, I've made some progress in like thinking about my own philosophy at this point by virtue of continuing to work on my craft. Mm-hmm. How does somebody you feel can make that connection towards this is worth it? This is worth trying to pursue, do you think? Because I know for you, and just like most people, we come in and out. There are waves 
right? Of like, okay, yeah, I'm going to read all this absolutely. stuff right now. And then you do nothing with it for a couple of months. And then you read a whole bunch of stuff or you watch a specific movie or whatever. And then <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how yes. for you, do you think people can manage that wave a little bit better? God bless. Again, when I figure it out, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, do, it does come in. That's exactly how it is for me. It comes in waves and I hate it. Because like the things I'm trying to do require long term commitment. They require long term keeping focus on the things you're trying to stay focused on. So, um, I I don't know. It's about like a, being able to visualize what it is you're ultimately trying to do is helpful, but that doesn't that doesn't keep you from going into those waves. Do you think I, it's, I don't know. it's figuring out a community? Because the other thing I'm noticing as I go through Community's all these, big. Community is big. That's the thing that I'm noticing as I go through all of these is the fact that having a sense of community or having a whole bunch of people in that given craft allows you to then continue to push on and, and figure out the X's and the O's as time goes on. Sorry, my... Uh dog was sort of losing it no, there no a little worries, bit no so I had to mute the mic no worries um but yeah um yeah that, i mean it makes it a lot easier but you do i think the biggest thing if you really want to get something done you have to be able to internalize a motivation purely for yourself a community is huge in that regard but ultimately at the end of the day what keeps you in the community is still going to be you participating yeah. and the community makes it way easier absolutely but uh, finding that internal motivation and it being sincere and sticking, that's that's the key. And I don't I I'm trying to figure that out. You know, I'm trying to figure that out. Still. Fair enough. You know, and I'm, I'm getting old, Caleb. You know, time's running out. Jesus Christ. You're I'm kidding, obviously. But... Close to... <laughs> yeah. Well, either way, I appreciate your time. Thanks for talking to me about this. I know of course. it's a little little shorter than i normally run my podcast but i feel like it's motivated me actually to keep making sure that i am setting a specific ideal as to why i'm doing what i'm doing and how i'm gonna try and go about it so thanks for letting me buggy brother absolutely man anytime